Yo, what's up? Welcome to the Movie Newbie. I'm your host, Jabril, and get ready for the show. Just a word of warning, spoilers ahead. Yo, what's up, guys? And we are back. Episode 5, guys. Like, we made it. Episode 5. That's a milestone, I think. Yeah. It's pretty good. How are you guys feeling? Yeah, pretty good. Um, I haven't had any conversations with my toaster just yet, so I... Uh, I feel like that's a good sign. I don't think I've lost my mind yet from the isolation. Um, so yeah, holding in there. How about you, Raf? Yeah, you know, uh, my uh, pits are perspiring as we speak, but that's just because it's getting warmer outside. Apart from that, I'm good. Sane, I think. Help. <laughs> Let's see. Well, <laughs> well, I guess you guys have prepared another movie for me. I'm pretty excited. Stevie Speed. Yeah, Stevie Speed. Uh, so what's the movie? So, you know, whenever we were discussing what films to include in this series on Spielberg, it was quite hard because it's hard to pick a film from someone who's so prolific. And there are so many films that different, represent different aspects of his style, of his career, of his voice. But, you know, we're trying to summarize a man's career in uh, three films. So we're going to have to go for the big hitters. And that's why we're going to be following our conversation from last week on Jaws, with an episode this week about a little film called E.T. Now, this is a movie mm. made in 1982. It was, of course, directed by Steven Spielberg, and it was written by Melissa Matheson, and released in 1982 with another legendary score from the one and only John Williams. And the film, the story, although I probably shouldn't have to explain this to our listeners, because let's face it, you guys have all seen this already, but it's about a boy who's neglected at home, who finds an alien in his back garden, or at least near in his neighborhood? I can't kind of I can't quite remember. And this alien has been uh, accidentally left at home by his own kind. And so the alien and the boy form a bond. Uh, they become close, and then the boy must help this alien return to his home and evade capture from some shady ass government organization. Classic tale. So yeah, it's going to be a good one, guys. Mm. Mm-hmm. Nice, another. Another amazing movie. I think I watched this when I was a kid, and I don't really remember it much, but I'm pretty excited. I remember the poster, just like Jaws, mm. like another amazing poster by Steven Spielberg. He was good at those. Yeah, he was pretty good. He was pretty good at those. But yeah, I was going to say pretty excited because this is a movie that I've really wanted to watch in a long time, um, but I just never really thought about it when the time came. So pretty excited. Uh, what do you think, Raf? E.T.? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think if we're going down the uh, the, the path of, of showing Steven Spielberg or Stevie Spiebe's most memorable work, uh, E.T. has to fall on that. I remember watching countless interviews and him being asked which movies he would like to be remembered for. E.T. fell uh, on that list. Um, so it's definitely... It's definitely... It definitely should be in there. And I think we were all touched by E.T. I mean, touched is a weird way of saying it, but uh, we were all, we all fell for, for what that film gave us. And it, it, it really painted um, not only something for our childhood, but it also, you know, painted the eighties for, for me and, and what the eighties represented. It's, it's filled with, with eighties, you know, references and Easter eggs and who doesn't love the eighties. Am I right? So absolutely. I can't wait for this one. Oh dude, I am so excited. Especially with like the popularity of stuff like Stranger Things, you know, mm. E.T. Mm. is like a Absolutely. movie that I really want to watch. So I'm pretty excited. I think I'm just going to go ahead and, and watch that and call you guys back in a, in a few days. What do you guys think? Sounds good. Bye. All right, guys. Catch you in a bit. Ciao. And we're back, guys. Just watched the movie E.T. Uh, it was really, really, really good. Like, I haven't watched this movie in so long, and it was just... It was really good to watch, like, a nostalgic movie, you know? It was it was really great. It's a good time. It's a good time to uh, dip into those childhood classics and just remember a simpler time. Uh, it's, I had an interesting experience watching this movie because I've seen it, you know, so many times before. It was sort of a, uh, a staple of viewing when I was a kid with my family. My parents were both big fans of the films, of the film and made sure to show it to my brothers and I when we were really young. So I'd seen it quite a bit then. And then I've seen it a few times now, I think, since becoming an adult. So I was very familiar with the film. But this time I watched it and I kind of had a bit of a revelation while I was watching it. 
the film still worked so well for me. I, I thought it was a masterpiece. And yet at the same time, I kind of noticed for the first time that the underlying story in the film is kind of sloppy and a little poorly conceived and doesn't really make much sense. And I'd never picked up on any of this before, but that's not what I want to focus on right now. I just want to, I will, I will say that I, I had a great time watching it. It's still tugged at my heartstrings. It's still one of the greatest examples of populist filmmaking. And yeah, it's just pure movie magic. And I'm, I'm really excited to get into the positives and the negatives with you guys. Yeah, for sure. And I, I like the, um, I like the fact that you addressed that because I think when we watch E.T., especially from a child's perspective, when we're younger, we never notice these things. We're completely immersed in the magic of it all, right? And I think that's credit to Steven Spielberg to just make us escape from our normal lives and jump into this movie and be in this movie with Elliot and with E.T. But seeing it from like, yeah, an adult perspective, you get to see the little plot holes that occur every now and then. There's a the, the, there's more of a critical eye uh, when you watch it uh, as you get older. Um, but then again, there's such a watchability factor to this film. It's crazy. Even though I know the plot holes, I can see the storyline being maybe a little bit feeble in some parts. There's still that watchability factor that like, yep, I can I can watch this till the end of time. It's it's it holds a test. It's a test to to to, to time itself. So yeah. Mm. E.T. was still still gave me the feels. Nice. Yeah, like I agree with you on that. The difference between watching it as a kid and watching it as like an adult has been a really different experience. And especially for me, since I watched it when I was really, really young, I think between the ages of five and seven. So um and you hadn't watched it again since I ha- then. I have I haven't. Yeah, no, it was um that was like my first and only time. So wow. this was like, yeah, the second time wow. that I've seen E.T. It's just never really on my mind. Like, I, never, I don't know why I've never thought of it. But you remembered, did you remember specific parts? Did you, were you like, oh, I remember this from my, from my first watch. It's still etched in like my mind. Uh, for sure. Yeah, I did. Um, so when I was a kid, I think the only thing that I remember from that time was um, just the fun parts of the movie. You know, mm. so like when he first discovers E.T., and then when they become friends or uh, when they're when they try to save the frogs and the, and he sets them free, you know, that mm. that whole scene or when um, Drew Barrymore's character, uh, the younger sister, um, when she's like teaching E.T. how to speak. I thought like those were the parts that um, that that I remembered. Mm. And you didn't know mm. it was Drew Barrymore before, did you? Yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't realize it was Drew Barrymore. But now like it. <laughs> Once you told me it was, I was like, no way. Uh, yeah, it's so right. obvious. Yeah. It's so obvious. <laughs> yeah, what's Drew doing in there? Yeah. Because, yeah. like, I, throughout the movie, I was like, she's going to be someone one day. And, oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Turns out it's Drew Barrymore. I think wow. she was. Yeah, somebody. yeah. Little did we know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But she is, she is fantastic. Just because like, a little sidebar. She yeah. is mm. so good in the film. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to find films where. Uh, you get those child performances yeah. that are so natural and just uh, yeah, brilliant to watch, and that's one of them. I I just mm. thought she was great, and like the scenes that she was in were usually my favorite scenes. Mm. So as an adult, the difference is that now I can like patch the movie together where I can recognize different things that a kid wouldn't necessarily like. As a kid, I only remembered the fun parts, and everything else wasn't important. But um, for me, I really enjoyed the storyline. I thought it was pretty good. And I wouldn't have noticed that as a kid. Yeah, and I think um, for me, uh, I, when I, I remember that when I watched the film as a kid, I don't think I could even probably follow what was going on in terms of the plot, in terms of like the government organization or the science fiction angle in terms of what's happening between the characters of E.T. Mm. and Elliot as they're bonding. Oh, why I I remember not knowing why they were both sick towards the end of the film, but I just think that the it was just the emotion that grabbed me by the collar. Just I just remember being in tears for most of the second half of the movie when I first watched it, and and feeling so connected to the character of Elliot and to E.T. 
And so that's all that mattered to me, those two characters and the bond that I was making with them on the screen. And so everything that happened around that was just, you know, merely incidental, I guess. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of credit that you can give either Henry Thomas, the people behind uh, the making of E.T. and Steven Spielberg, but there is uh, what 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 helps immerse ourselves in this world is the atmosphere. I think when we were talking about Alfred Hitchcock and we were saying that he's a master of suspense, he's a master of thrills. I feel like. Steven Spielberg has established himself as a master of, of, of atmosphere. He paints each shot with like this atmospheric color that really defines his filmmaking. And it's defined all his films, which is why they've become so indelible, which is why they've become such, uh, they've etched into our minds and they've become such a signature in American cinema. Like when you think of Raiders of the Lost Ark, when you think of Jaws, when you think of E.T., you're thinking of one uh, you're, you're thinking of one painting, um, which is why you can always go back to that world or that narrative. I feel like his attention to detail on every shot is perfectly composed. It, it means something. It represents something. Like when we were discussing Elliot's room or Elliot's house, there's an attention to detail to every one of his toys, the desk, the dust, like you were saying, Ollie. And that's, I think that's, that's like a master at his work. That's a master of someone who really wants to show you everything that's in a shot. Yeah, it's the, the, the I mean, I, I, I mentioned this before when we were discussing Jaws. I think one of my favorite things about Spielberg is his um, fascination with the family unit, mm. with the, mm -hmm. the family home. Because he, he likes looking at like fractured households as well, I mm -hmm. think, as a, I think because he was a child of divorce as well. Yes. And but anyway, so I just loved like the product, like you said, Raph, the production design in Elliot's family's home. Like it does feel really lived in and feels really cluttered in a way that is human. Mm. And often when you see a film and you're watching and you're in someone's apartment or in someone's house, it does feel like it was just assembled that day on, on a set or on a studio lot. Mm. It doesn't feel like worn. And that's what this and that's what that's how it looks in this film. Yeah. And I don't know if you've noticed this, Gabriel, but like obviously a lot of these shots have uh, a sense of heightened um uh, realism or magic realism, like the uh the mist in the in the backyard, you know, the the room being a bit too stuffy. Uh there's these like stylistic choices to enhance uh a shot. I don't I don't know if you realize this, uh, Gabriel. Yeah, definitely. Um what springs to mind is when they first discover E.T. in the shed mm. outside. And you can I you just see the shadow and the mist and like a light shining through. I, I thought that was really good and just added to the effect of the film. Mm. Yeah. And and so I think I you know I mentioned at the top of this recording that I think you know what makes this movie work in spite of its any potential flaws you could see in the script is the fact that there are just so many instances of pure movie magic, mm. which is what Spielberg does best. Just, you know, creating those sequences that just are impossible to not be affected by when you're watching them. Yeah. And so maybe we should talk a little bit about some of those moments right now. I mean, I'll start off, you know, I'll start us off that it's probably one of the most iconic images in cinema, which is the uh, the E.T. and Elliot flying across, you know, their silhouette flying mm. across the moon. Which has become his production, his production company's uh, logo, right? It's yeah. become mm -hmm. so indelic that it has become, you know, a part of his work. Uh, to, to, yeah. and, and, and speaking of that shot, actually, it's uh, I do have a little fun fact. Uh, that iconic shot is actually, uh, it, it's mostly a real shot. Um the full moon was, was mostly a real shot. I mean, it took um, uh, the cinematographer uh, and Steven Spielberg and the rest of the team weeks to find the right spot to film a low moon among those trees. And I think they use maps and charts uh, to like coordinate the scene once they found the right spot. So all they had to really do was place Elliot and E.T., um, like little puppets, to this added shot. So the, those are the only special effects that are added is, is E.T. and Elliot. But the the rest of it is, is photo real. Wow. wow. That's amazing. And yeah, like like in the previous movie, Jaws, another great poster. Like that shot is just synonymous with all of his work. And mm. I think I would say the most recognizable image in film. Oh, yeah. I, 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 I wouldn't be able to say 
like okay jaws comes close but um i think wait which which image are you talking about the two fingers touching or the um them flying them across, flying the, moon. across the moon but also uh, the right, fingers yeah, yeah, touching yeah, absolutely see that's another like i would say on par with like the most recognizable images like everyone knows exactly what that is yeah absolutely yeah um and i don't want to say fingers touching again but it's <laughs> It's um, it, it, it's that kind of uh, visual storytelling that he's so like you said, Ollie, and like you've witnessed, Gabriel. It's it's so it's so synchronized with his work, and it's made him uh, the pioneer that he is in 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 this new wave of cinema that came during that time. And it's why we have all these films that have mimicked or copied um, E.T. numerous times. I mean, you think of Stranger Things. There would be no Stranger Things if there wasn't E.T., you know, all these 80s references. You know, there's all these films that, like, have been done. But when you look back and you find the the, the founding films or the founding father that made all this possible, you, you really see it. And you're like, wow, yeah, that's he, he made he made landmarks. He made benchmarks in movies. Yeah, mm, yeah, absolutely. But even just like uh, so many other scenes, like the when he first goes outside um, with the pizza mm. and he, he, and he, you know, he thinks he's heard like a coyote in the, in the, in the garden or something or near the field. And he just throws the baseball and the baseball gets thrown yeah. back. Um, or when he steps on that kid to kiss the girl mm. in the, um, oh, yeah. in the science class yeah. um, or just even the, um, uh, when the, uh, they drive that van through, they steal the van belonging to the government and the uh, that little uh, that tunnel mm. is still connected to the back of it, and the um, and the, uh, the the government employees or the scientists wearing the astronaut suits are just caught yeah. in it. Yeah, so many, so many great scenes. So many moments, or even or even in the in the very beginning when um, uh, all the aliens are, are have arrived on Earth, and you see them scouring around the forest, and then you see uh, them stop, and all the the red hearts kind of go on. And that mm, that image yeah. of all the aliens having that same uh, communication method, I guess it, it is, uh, and then returning home, and then uh, and also I, I guess I, I want to go into the uh, the authority figures that are depicted in this film, and they're never explicitly shown. You know, they're always yeah. shown as a shadow, a silhouette, a bunch of hands or feet or keys, except for like his mom, it, like yeah. nearly all the other adults are shot from the. For the at least for the first like few three quarters of the film, they're shot from below the neck. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I feel like that helps the narrative paint a portrait of childhood, or it helps at least give us a child perspective, uh, Elliot's perspective, uh, in, in a way, until the latter part of the film. Um, and I feel like that's such a that's such an interesting style. And I wish it could have stayed throughout the film. I don't need yeah. to know the government bodies. I don't need to know the bad guy. I like the fact that, yes, if you're a kid and you see an authority figure, it doesn't have a face when you're a kid. It doesn't. It, it, it holds no meaning. You know, there isn't that kind of complexion that we have when we're adults of reading into things, of of seeing that person and knowing that it's beyond an authority figure. So it's yeah, it's such a, an inventive way of. Of creating these and you know if you were to get super um sort of uh academic about it or looking at it through the lens of like a film student mm. the way by shooting that kind at the by you know framing the camera shot so that the adults heads are essentially cut off it's almost like you're saying that they're occupying a different airspace to the children mm. you know they're they're lit quite literally on a different level yeah. that is um out of out of bounds for the children and yet they can't step into the realm of the children you know yeah um they're just occupying different spaces completely i, I completely agree like i think in addition to that it just it directs the focus to the main characters and like that's present throughout the film mm. that the relations with the main characters specifically elliot and et i think that making these secondary characters feel distant and not important mm. just focuses everything at like what's at hand you know the the main plot of the movie and that's what i enjoyed quite a bit well yeah. Gabriel, damn like you, you, we're only what on the fifth or sixth episode and you're already spitting these thank like you, you know you, terminologies you. and look at you <laughs> I, it's great it's great i mean it's if anything our no that's a that's a yeah that's a pretty impressive analysis if, if, if anything right yeah it, it means that this is working yes it's working 
God, our plan is coming together. Yes, finally. <laughs> uh, he doesn't know about the plot twist, though. Ooh, He's going to oh, become right, a yeah. nerd. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your, uh, your romantic prospects are going to go out <laughs> yeah, the window. Yeah, yeah. Pretty quickly. Say goodbye to your relationships. Take it, <laughs> say goodbye to like, your um, physique as well. You know, you're no longer going to be climbing on the rock no. pool. You're going to be oh, staying no. indoors and just eating Doritos <laughs> and watching movies. Yeah, you'll, watch, you'll watch other people climb. For a living. <laughs> um, <laughs> but to, to, to carry on with that, I think that helps it, uh, it, the, 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 the sense of authority figures being hidden or, and, and those stylistic choices help the movie magic uh, of, of E.T. And I think that's, if there's one way I could describe this film, it is movie magic. I mean, the story's yep. a bit magical. The score is fucking magical. The alien is magical, you know, like all of it has a sense of magic, which in a way, for me at least, reminds me of Peter Pan a lot. Um, but that's that's the kind of correlation I have. I mean, you'd think because this film features aliens and a spacecraft and intergalactic communication, you would think that it'd be easy, that it should be classified as science fiction. But you're right. It's way much more of a fairy tale than anything. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know what? Another little fun fact, um, it, 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 it turned, yes, yes. I was just going to say, I don't know if this is going to be the fun fact, but that, that famous shot where E.T.'s on the, like the bicycle scene in the moon, I think mm-hmm. there was a similar shot in um, Peter Pan. When they when they yes, fly, yes, yeah, yes, was absolutely. that the fact? Oh, are you talking about the um? Are you talking about the uh the like the animated Disney? The nineteen forty one. Yeah, 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 yeah. For sure, ah. they they um they fly when they go to Neverland. They fly. They do the whole moonshot too. Mm-hmm. I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So. I don't know if that was the fact, but I really hope it is. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> there was, like, it, it, some inspiration from that movie. Absolutely. There's definitely there's definitely inspiration from that movie. And you can see it on research um, that there's a lot of correlation between uh, E.T. and Peter Pan. And I think there's one that says that um, Elliot uh, represents a lost boy and E.T. is Peter Pan. E.T. Mm. never really um, E.T. can't really stay on Earth. Uh, and that's that's Peter Pan not being able to also live on Earth because he doesn't want to grow up. Um, so yeah, a few a few mm. little similarities there. Nice, interesting. interesting. Yeah. yeah. But I I I I think that uh you know while we're on the subject I guess of adults and children I think that you know I wanted to talk a little bit about in addition to just uh, the the pure movie magic that we've discussed one of the reasons I think this movie works so well in spite of any you know flaws that you could pick up on is that it its theme of childhood loneliness mm. is incredibly resonant with people of all ages and so i think that's part of the why it's been so successful as a piece of popular entertainment yeah. because it doesn't matter what, how old you are i think you can relate to the character of elliot as someone who feels neglected at home as someone who feels like a bit of a loner and who creates an incredible bond with this minority figure in the form of this alien and uh, how meaningful that relationship is to him. Mm. No, for sure. And I and I think a lot of it came from Steven Spielberg's own childhood. And I believe that because uh, he went through uh, divorce as well, or his parents went through a divorce, and he was a very lonely kid when he was growing up, and he actually had an imaginary friend. And a lot of that idea came into play when he went into film school to develop a script like E.T., he draws inspiration, you know, from his from his from his own childhood. It's, and it's so that makes so much sense that you you know if if it is true that E.T. was partly based on an imaginary friend, that I mean that makes so much sense, yeah. doesn't it? Because absolutely this this because it, it is like E.T. is like something that you might create in your Conjure head up. when you're yeah when to deal with uh, the alienation and loneliness you feel in your own life, yeah. like the feeling that no one gets you. So you'd create this otherworldly fig- otherworldly creature from outer space who is one of a kind because that's how you feel. Yeah. You know, you feel like an alien in your own home. Sorry, I, I don't know if that's a take. No, 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 but, but continue, please, continue. <laughs> um, 
No, no, but you're right. And I, and I like to hope, I, I hope people still conjure up imaginary friends when they're younger and that social media or telephones hasn't completely replaced the imagination of just the human imagination. Well, um, it, but yeah. I mean, if I, if I may get on my soapbox here, Please. I mean, I'm not old enough yet to start lecturing people and, you know, how things were in the olden days. <laughs> but I think that, I think that is, uh, that's something I'm generally worried about when it comes to, kids born today mm. is I, I think like imagination I think is a product of boredom yeah because you 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 create in your head when there's nothing in your immediate vicinity that will entertain you you have to rely on yourself to entertain you to be entertained to be engaged and I think that you know in today's age when like you could just plop an, a kid in front of an iPad Whenever you need, you know, you, you're too busy to look after them or to play with them yourselves, mm. then and they're always going to be fed content. I wonder if they're going to, you know, be able to develop that part of their brain that creates imaginary yeah. figures and yeah. allows them to live out stories in their head. Well, especially during these times, you'd like to you'd like to hope that there is a lot of imagination occurring in, in these COVID times because boredom is basically the emphasis of of a lot of people's lives during this time so hopefully yeah. who knows the amount of storytelling that could occur because of this you know thanks to this thanks to this great pause that we're having yeah, yeah. absolutely hey, hey, um, yeah, anyways back to et uh, uh sorry i just had a yeah, bit of a yeah, tear sorry, going I, on I, yeah that just made me think uh, yeah. just take a break for a second can we just pause please can we just take a break uh, <laughs> uh, i actually thought you were being uh, like genuine there I mean, I, I am. I, thought, I am kind of. I thought you were actually asking us to pull this. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, no. Let's, oh, let's, okay. let's, let's. I can, I can suck it up. It's fine. I can, I can do it. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> it's, it's great radio. Um, <laughs> makes for great radio. Um, so yeah. one of the things that I wanted to talk about was, um, I guess, the boom in characters similar to ET. Mm. The whole, I think, kind of playing on like a cute character that doesn't really speak. Like, ever since I think. R2-D2, in my opinion, there has been loads of these types of characters, even to this day with, like, movies like Wally e and... Uh, I don't know. I can't really think of any off the top of my head, but I just wonder how, how much Steven Spielberg was um, inspired by the Star Wars movies. Like, there was there were, there were quite a few Star Wars references in, in the movie. No, like yeah. Halloween costumes, um, um, mm. just, I think, general dialogue. So... I, I, I'm just wondering how, how much they relate to each other. Well, we, I mean, oh, I'm, I'm sure Ollie knows this. Steven Spielberg and George Lucas uh, are like best buddies. Um, oh, at least they, okay. At least they were back in, back in the day. I mean, I'm sure they yeah. probably are. I don't know their relationship, but um, they, they were very close, uh, very close friends. And they uh, referenced a lot of their own movies. And he, Steven Spielberg references a lot of Star Wars in it uh, because Star Wars came out, you know, during the same time. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, and you get the whole Yoda reference, which George Lucas loved, um, loved so much that he then included uh, the E.T. aliens in Phantom of Menace in the first, uh, yeah. first of the prequels. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. I've heard where, about where, this. Where yeah. are it, they? In a, it's, it's during, it's during the, the, uh, Senate, the, the right? whole, yeah, the Senate. Yeah, there's like yeah. a shot, there's like a shot that you can like kind of almost miss, but easily miss of like a bunch of ETs just going, uh, like cheering <laughs> <on>. <laughs> oh, I yeah. never knew that. But you can also see the, um, the, uh, like the Star Wars toys hanging up in Elliot's yeah, bedroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's like a... Uh, Boba Fett. There's like a TIE fighter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but exactly. uh, yeah, when yeah. they were first hanging out, him and E.T., you know, as as kids do, he was like showing him all his like Star Wars dolls and he was going through all the characters. Um, hmm. He was like, this is Greedo. And, and that's such, that's such yeah. a good point. That's... And there were instances <laughs> of it throughout the movie. Um, and it's yeah. just like that connection was always there. And I don't know, it hmm. just made me want to watch star wars <laughs> well that's a good that, that's such yeah, a well observed a uh, uh moment that you picked up on that you're so right that's what you would do when you were a kid is if you meet someone new if you make a new friend and you had them over to your house you'd show them all of your toys yeah that's the first thing you would do so 
If I may, though, not to bring the conversation down at all, <laughs> but I would be remiss if I didn't bring up some of the plot holes yeah. and yeah. Um, shortcomings in the in the in the story in the script oh, that on. I mentioned. Destroy my childhood. Uh, the, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With pleasure, Raph. Um, <laughs> um, fuck your childhood. Yeah. Um, fuck, fuck off. <laughs> fuck off of your childhood. <laughs> Um, but yeah, okay, so in spite of everything we just said, in spite of what a, a masterpiece of filmmaking this is, I did notice for the first time when watching this film, uh, several sort of problems or unexplained, yeah, holes in the story. So uh, f- to begin with, like, for starters, I think the abilities of E.T. are never really explained thoroughly or, and um, yeah, the rules are never really established. So I was just like the link. So the part of the one of the premises of this movie is that E.T. and Elliot form not just a bond in terms of like uh, in terms of their affection for one another, but they create like an almost like a telepathic physical bond so that when uh, E.T. starts to his health starts to decline, I, I suppose because he's not, you know, built to survive on Earth, in Earth's atmosphere, Elliot, too, begins to decline. But they never explain how that link was formed. Like at what moment, you know, did E.T. choose to imprint himself on Elliot? And then when that link is broken uh, later on, you know, when they're both um, on the ventilators and are in the uh, like sort of being about to be operated on, it seems. And they're all hooked up by the doctors. And then you see that Elliot's heartbeat is starting to break away from E.T.'s and he suddenly, you know, recovers it's never explained what happened there that caused them to separate all of a sudden. And then like the, you know, um, like the plant, there's these chrysanthemum flowers in the film. They're often used as a plot device to explain what's going on with E.T. essentially, because early on in the film, E.T. revives the plants. And so you think, okay, so he's an alien that somehow has the ability to bring back life to organisms on earth. But then, Later on, it seems like the plant is meant to be a, a reflection of E.T.'s own, you know, um, sustainability, state of health. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And, and I, I could just keep going on, like, how does E.T. come back to life all of a sudden yeah. later on? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. where is this shady government organization from? Why are they, why are they like... Why, they pinpointed, like, they pinpointed the location uh, very easily. Yeah, <laughs> what, is the, what is their agenda? They're trying to, like, re, they're obviously trying to capture and recover this alien. But then at the end, when the alien's dead, like... E.T. seems to be worried that, sorry, Elliot seems to be worried that the government organization wouldn't let him take E.T. back to the place where his, you know, where his own kind will come and pick him up. Mm. Yeah. And and that's it, another thing, like, how does the intergalactic radio device work? <laughs> ah, like, there's so many questions. Yeah. And, and if I could carry on on your wagon to take a shit on this film, um, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, I mean, obviously, yes, when you take out the magic realism, when you, when I don't have to be necessarily teleported into this film or fully immersed, I do withdraw and I have a critical eye. All of those facts uh, happen. And, and I think there's, there's also one with, um, you know, when they're when they're all running away, when it's the climax of the plot, and it's like suddenly there's like you know eighteen cops after them, like they <laughs> turn from one road to another, and suddenly like the whole police is after them, or like there's eighteen government bodies like following them, and I'm like, how did it escalate so fast? Or the whole timeline issue of like. Uh, uh, even the iconic shot of, of E.T. and Elliot, you know, riding through uh, amongst the moon, that they went from, you know, daytime to sunset to nighttime within like, you know, five minutes. So like, there's definitely a timeline thing where I'm like, could have this worked better in terms of timeline as a TV show? Probably just to expand this universe a little because everything does feel just mm. a little rushed without any yeah. explanation. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I think, you know, I'm not sure. Like I said, it still works on for, for me. And I, I think when I've watched this movie before, it, uh, these these sort of inconsistencies or these gaps in the logic never, um, you know, they never they never really mattered to me, I guess. Or I was never able to pick up on them because I was just over, so overwhelmed with the. Um, the emotional arc of the story. And so I don't know why this time I suddenly picked up on it. And maybe, I don't know, maybe this movie, maybe that's the one thing holding this movie back for me just a little bit. If I could, you know, uh, knock it down a peg, it would just be that I think 
the movie magic works so well, but I think movie magic works the best if it's, you know, um, there is a story, a logical story that can support it at the same time. Mm. One of the things that I found kind of funny was uh, when E.T. drank a bunch of beers. and um, <laughs> got lit. The, yeah, and then the, the, mother, <laughs> the mother came home and she, like, picks up a beer, looks at it and just puts it down as if, like, it was nothing. Like, she yeah. didn't think, like, maybe somebody came into her house and drank or a bunch of beers. Or she smells it. Or yeah, she's it's, like, it's, or one of her kids, or like one it. of her kids had like made probably the the yeah the 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 um yeah the yeah, older no. brother had been like nicking beers and dropping the cans. She wasn't worried or anything, and I was like, what is going on? Like, I found that so confusing. Yeah, and I feel like maybe that's a. I mean, in my opinion, the mother was a little thinly written. You know, there were some instances where I'm like, would a mother do this? Then again, I'm not a mother, so I can't really judge for myself. But there are just points where I'm like, what? Like, why did she react this way? Or like, why is she doing this? You know, like, would would that really occur? Like the whole beer, yeah, the whole beer can thing. Like, I think she smells it, and she, you know, it says beer, so it is beer. Um, yeah, there's just a few instances like that that just don't quite work. And I feel like maybe when you get away from the core group, like the 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 three siblings, that's when a, a little bit of the magic starts to dissipate. And then when they come back together, it's there again. But yeah, there are a few occurrences like that for sure. I think I think her saving moment in the movie was when she was reading the storybook to Drew Barrymore's character. And E.T. was looking Adult. through. Yeah, um, Gertie. Yeah, Gertie. And, and E.T. was looking through the, uh, what was it, the blinds? Mm. I, thought, I thought that was a really nice scene. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that was, like, what made me warm up to the character. Because other than that, I found her, yeah, just underdeveloped. Yeah. Mm. She has a, yeah, you think that the subplot with her and uh, um, Elliot's mm. father, their separation would be developed a little bit more. And maybe that's the, that, you know, we're talking about what's different about watching this film yeah, as an adult as yeah. opposed to a, a kid. Maybe now as adults, we're a little bit more yeah. interested in what's yeah, going on yeah. between the, the parents and uh, what happened there and, and, and what she's going through as a character herself. And maybe that gets a little bit of the short shrift. And maybe that's okay because this is a mo- movie ultimately yeah, about yeah, Elliot just, yeah, and like The focus obviously but, um, isn't the divorced parents. But you do seem to, to notice it a lot more. And, and maybe it's also the time, you know, it's the 80s. So women were generally written in a sort of way. Uh, you know, it's all about a man or, you know, like she always references like Mexico or like, you know, he's in Mexico. Then like the man left me. So now I'm disheveled and I'm in pieces and I'm like distraught instead of like making this woman a strong, you know, independent. Like, yeah, she fucking makes her own cash and like has a big house and takes care of three kids. You know, like it can't be that because, you know, it's the 80s. So it's, you know, it's always got to be about a man. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose so. Although she seems like a cool mom as she well. Does. She like, does. Like I liked, I liked it in the beginning how, is it Michael? Uh, the name of the older uh, brother? Yeah. But no. Yes. Michael. Cause Greg is his mate. Yes. Michael it is. Yeah. <laughs> yes yeah shut up greg <laughs> greg's greg, already always getting shitted on throughout the film <laughs> yeah. but um anyway in the opening of the movie when you first you know see the characters they're just uh they're just like he has all of his michael has all of his friends over and they're yeah, playing like yeah, dungeons yeah, yeah, yeah. and dragons i think in the um in the on the table in the kitchen and they've got like snacks and they're ordering pizza and the mum's just yeah. kind of puttering about and i just thought oh yeah, that's cool at least she's the Let kind of mum that clearly makes you know wants yeah. her kids to be able to have their friends over and like wants her house to be somewhere where they can all hang out together yeah it's just a, you know it's, it's very yeah. warm yeah, atmosphere for sure. no it's and and then i feel like uh yeah that's i don't need to add any further no that's it yep that, yeah. <laughs> that's all i have to yeah. say about that one <laughs> yeah. uh, um so i don't know if we uh went through most of what we wanted to go through but i did have a couple of facts in case we wanted to jump into the fact land let's do it yeah let's have a let's let's discuss the yeah let's hear some of your trivia and then maybe we can yeah, uh, yeah. give good. this movie a great that's that's, that's cool it's, it's just a few facts that i've like kind of uh devoured online um but initially et 
was supposed to be a horror film. Um, the, the, the original title was called E.T. and Me, and it was meant to be about aliens invading a family's home. So oh. it was it was going to be a horror film until I believe it was Steven Spielberg that decided to change his mind and we worked the script with um, with uh, Melissa uh, Matheson, uh, but Melissa Matheson wanted it to be a horror at first, so they had to like negotiate for it to be a family friendly film. That's interesting because when I was watching it last night, um, I was watching it with uh, uh, my housemate and uh, one other person who hadn't seen the film before. And um, when they were when we were watching the scene where Elliot's um, creating that trail of Reese's pieces mm. to lure E.T. into his bedroom, some of the way in which one of my friends commented that the way in which the film is shot and the way it looks, if it weren't for the, you know, very whimsical score, yeah. you'd think it was a horror movie. The way yeah. E.T.'s fingers kind of creep around the staircase. Like, I'm not going to lie. When I was a kid, I, I used to be scared of E.T. a little bit. I didn't. I didn't like it. Like I would get nightmares of ET. That's that's totally fair. That's totally <laughs> fair. I mean, ET could it, it it has that it has that 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 dichotomy that it can be, yeah, horrific and whimsical. Yes, absolutely. But um, it, and and does anyone does anyone uh, am I the only one that thinks ET has very cat like characteristics, or do you guys feel like that's also what you took watching this again? Because for me. Uh, the like I think E.T. purrs in some scenes yeah uh, and I think energetically he kind of feels like a cat like really? he keeps to himself yet he lurks around you know like you're drawn to him and the way um the way Elliot lures E.T. with candy it's very I mean that's how my wife like discovered her cat by luring you know her into to the house just in that fashion of just like sprinkling things on the ground for her to eat um, I don't know. There was just a bit of like cat-like qualities that I was like, oh, interesting. I, I'm allergic to cats. Huh. <laughs> All right, I, well, I've never owned a cat, so fuck I, me, I, right? I, I, like, <laughs> like I wouldn't, I wouldn't be the best person to ask. I have no idea. That's fair. That's totally fair. <laughs> I think it might just be me, but that's okay. Maybe there's other cat-like enthusiasts out there that uh, would agree with. Maybe, that. maybe there's some listeners who'd agree with you. Yeah, maybe. Maybe if you get, if you get a cat, I can you name can it E.T. Yeah, true. E. true. You know what? Things are coming for me, guys. Things are after all <laughs> this is done. I might get a cat and call it E.T. We never know. Ah, it's a it's a new chapter in your life. <laughs> Here we go. It's the new yeah. It's the new changed world. Okay, so to carry on with the facts, uh, I just had a, a few more to add in, uh, and 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 this one's to do with E.T.'s voice. Now I don't know if you know this, but. Uh, the most dominant vocals was done by Pat Welsh, who was an actress with a very raspy voice because she was a chain smoker. And they mostly used her voice as a contributing factor. But there were also 18 different people that helped voice E.T., uh, including including a burp and including Steven Spielberg's wife sleeping while she had a cold. Yeah. Oh, wow. I, I, I had heard that it was a mm. compilation of different recordings and voices, but yeah, yeah. Dude, that's, so, that's really that's cool. That's really impressive. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's just, uh, you know, I, I like to get those tr- like behind the scene trinklets to really visualize the making of. I mean, I'm, I'm a sucker for making ofs. So it's, it's, yeah, this is utterly fascinating for me and hopefully for the listeners out there and also for you guys. And I had uh, absolutely uh, okay. Maybe I'll squeeze in two more before we give our our ratings here. But the special effects, and this is uh, primarily for ET, the way ET was constructed. So the uh, special effects artist Carlo Rambaldi, uh, he worked on the Xenomorph, uh, which was the the alien in Alien. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that, Jabriel, but maybe we'll go into it when we explore sci-fi. Uh, yeah. And he also did the visitors in Close Encounters. He helped realize mm-hmm. ET. And he used, um, and if and if you listeners out there want to do some research, he used his own painting called Women of Delta. And then Spielberg uh, had him study photos of elderly people who lived during the Great Depression as well. And this was to finalize the whole look of E.T. He collated and merged together um, for the alien's face. He merged Albert Einstein, Ernest Hemingway, and Carl Sandburg. To all together to kind of like vi- no visualize way. ET's look. 
Yeah. <laughs> what? I know. Ernest Can you not Hemingway? see it? Is, is it not in the eyes? <laughs> uh. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. I, I, I'm just trying to think of how pissed off Ernest Hemingway would be in real life if he found out that this this shriveled little <laughs> this shriveled little alien yeah. was was intended to re, re, intended to resemble him. That would insult yeah, his masculinity yeah, so much. So in a way, it's great, you know. It deconstructs Ernest uh, Hemingway to the core. But uh, yeah, so that's yeah. Uh, that's something that that was probably one of my favorite facts is is that that merging of all these like kind of you know historical figures to create ET. Brilliant. Wow. <laughs> I, I I think I I'd sorry I'd heard <laughs> I'd heard actually um, during doing while I was doing my own little bit of research that apparently so. Without going into into it too much, apparently there's a bit of a plagiarism ah. controversy surrounding this film, and apparently uh, Satyajit Rai, who's this incredible Indian director, who maybe we'll get to talk about in detail on this podcast one day, Jibril. And anyway, he had he claimed that he thought the film was uh, clearly had clearly taken from a script that he had written in the '60s and circulated around Hollywood about a boy who forms Ooh. a relationship with an alien, and according to him. The disc, one of his key points he you know he cited when he was suggesting that the ET had borrowed from his film was the the look of the alien and in his script he'd written that the alien was somewhere between I don't have it here but it was like somewhere between an alien life form and like a like an animal and like a uh, what's the word I'm looking for like a starving child essentially and you can see that a little bit in the design of ET not to say that I think that ET definitely did plagiarize from this script. But you can see why he may have, you know, uh, thought that. Yeah, and you know what? Who knows how many shady, you know, deals or shadiness is made behind the scenes to to fulfill, you know, a film. So. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Those are the kind of facts Mm. that. Yeah, Hollywood Hollywood would be shady. Shady, and those are the facts that, like, I unfortunately won't be able to get. (laughs) Um. But uh. Yeah. No. That's yeah. That's I had read about that plagiarism uh story before and it's yeah it's just fascinating to 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 think that et could have been made very differently you know that movie could have been very different if that had occurred you know if 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 steven spielberg wasn't allowed to make that film 100 percent um and did you know that harrison ford made an appearance in the film I thought he did. No, I did not. But I thought I thought he was the the weird guy who was like, I've wished for this moment since I was ten. <laughs> yeah, no, that is not, not him, Harrison right? Ford. Yeah, no, no, that is uh, Peter Coyote. Right. Yeah, uh, but he but 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 he did make an appearance uh, as a school principal, but it was cut from the film. Ah, uh, yeah. uh, that would yeah. be. It would have been cool to see. But he was probably who was he was probably the one that was calling the mum after Elliot, yeah. you know, li- got drunk <laughs> and liberated all of those um, frogs in the in the yeah, yeah. in the school classroom. Because you know you can hear the mum saying, you know, something on the phone like drunk. Yeah. Hold on, I'll be there in a minute. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. I don't know how much they used. I know they they de- there's there's definitely a deleted scene that you can see uh, on YouTube uh with Harrison Ford as as the school principal and it's like you know it's you know it's a solid 3 minute scene um but it's interesting to think that Harrison Ford could have been in this movie but got cut out i wonder like what happened there um and also like if this was Harrison Ford at his prime cuz you know Raiders of the Lost Ark had just filmed um i don't think Harrison Ford would have stood by that you know he's very much an authority figure himself so mm. yeah absolutely um and I think that's, yeah, that's the end of, of, of the facts that I have. Oh, uh, yeah, I have one more, but this is for, you know, listeners that are interested. If you want to see Henry Thomas's improvised audition on YouTube, please go ahead, because it is one of the best auditions that you would see from, from a kid actor. Uh, and it's what got him the part. So it's very it's fascinating watch. Okay. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Oh, yeah definitely we'll check that out and that's it let us yeah so shall we wrap it up here yeah shall we well do we want to do grades yeah yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll wrap it up with the grades the the ratings and yeah i say we do it who wants to go first great um ollie why don't you why don't you take on the the first rating mm-hmm. okay so obviously this film mm. has had a massive impact on my life from childhood to beyond 
and it is undeniably a piece of movie making magic that cannot be denied um watching it again this time i did feel that there were some elements to the story and to the script writing that fell short for me and so for that reason i would probably have to give this an eight out of Mm. ten which is still of course a great score but i can give this film as a whole an eight out of ten and still acknowledge that it is must you know it is must see viewing for anybody of any age out there i'm 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 with you with that one on uh ollie I, I I also think it should get an eight out of ten, mainly because of the nostalgia value, like the effect of it. Really, really enjoyed mm-hmm. it, and yeah, there were a few plot holes, obviously, that you can't unsee, but um, I I just really enjoyed it, and it just made me it flooded my brain with memories that I didn't think about in a long mm. time. Mm. Uh, but for me, masterpiece? Question mark? Absolutely. I mean, there's a reason we call them masterpieces, and that's because they stand the test of time, as I said before. And its rewatchability makes this film indelible. You know, it has etched itself into our minds forever. No matter what you want to say about this film, no matter what the plot holes are, it still remains a large, a, a significant part of, of cinematic history and, and, its, and its form of magic realism. So for me, I will give it a, I will give 10 dead ETs out of 10. Boom, right there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know why I chose Dead E.T.'s. I just, I just like the design, you know, the design of a Dead E.T. Yeah. Wow, 10 out of 10. <laughs> well, there we go. We should, we should come up with like a little, um, like, a, like a, a sound effect or some kind of yeah. l- musical interlude for whenever somebody mm. on this podcast yeah, gets maybe a 10 we can out have of 10. like a Hall of Fame, like, like 10 out of 10 movies. Like a, like a, like a, cl- yeah, yeah, Pantheon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be cool. All right. All right, Bill, you know what to do. <laughs> yeah, so before I forget, don't forget to like, share, subscribe, leave a comment, five stars, you know, all that stuff. And uh, yeah, it was a really good chat, guys. I think this has been our longest episode to date. Woo. A bit of a megasode, if I might say. <laughs> um, but yeah, glad to talk to you guys. And I'm pretty excited for the next one. What do you guys say? Yeah, I'm excited. It's gonna be a I think uh, mm. it's gonna strike a different tone to the last you to the, this past two episodes. But we'll, you'll you'll discover shortly, Gabriel, yes. what we have in store for you. Well, I'll see you guys next time then. See you, mate. Hey guys, if you like the show, don't forget to check us out on Facebook and Instagram. You can find us on both at the Movie Newbie. Thanks for listening, guys, and catch you soon. <laughs>